Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad, and with me is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings, indeed. Ben and I are the sort of people who have cars with three pedals and a wobbly thing between the front passengers. Isn't that weird? That thing might wobble, but it don't fall down. It don't fall down. You see, me and him, uh, we're automotive journalists, and we like to talk about cars and drive cars and tell other people um, what kind of cars are cool out there. And uh, I think we have a really good list of cool things to talk about when it comes to the world of automotive uh, applications. And uh, let's let's get it started, Ben. What do you think? Sounds good to me. What did you want to start with today? Uh, the only news worth talking about this week is the 2018. That's the 2018 Ford Mustang. Ooh. Yeah. No, so from what I've seen, uh, a lot of people are are not happy with how it looks. Is that the, the diplomatic way of putting it? That is the very diplomatic way of putting it because everyone has to have a knee-jerk reaction to everything they see on the internet immediately, too. And uh, I don't think it looks that bad, but uh, we can we can talk about that another time when we have a video podcast we might have a Mustang to show the listeners or the viewers. But uh, essentially, they've uh, they've smoothed out some of the curves on it. They've uh, made some of the the um, vertical elements into more horizontal elements. And specifically, I'm talking about the fog lights that are found underneath the headlights. Uh, they've given it uh, the option for a really funny looking spoiler. Yeah, it, and... is, it is definitely a weird spoiler, almost like a biplane kind of thing on the back. <laughs> yeah. And uh, thank God I, I read that it was optional because uh, when I saw it, I was like, wow, OK. Um, you can get but but there's more interesting things to talk about when you when we get into the nitty gritty of it. So um, most importantly, one of my favorite things about the Mustang was the V6, and it's been dropped. Um, the base engine going forward will be the four-cylinder EcoBoost engine. It apparently will get uh, improved torque numbers. And the V8 is getting uh, new gasoline injection um, or fuel injection. It, it will be direct and port injection, kind of like a Toyota, which is kind of weird. Well, I want to talk about the, the V6 because... Uh... I have opinions about that, but before I wanted to touch on that V8 because you had you advanced a very interesting theory to me earlier today. Um, there were some publicity photos that were released by Ford of the dashboard of the new Mustang, and on the dashboard there were some Easter eggs. My, uh, Mike Levine, um, who runs uh, Ford's PR for this project, was uh, said, "Well, take a look on the take a look for the Easter eggs. See if you can find them. Blah blah blah. It's it's a fun little game." And we noticed that in the odometer. It had gone uh, 1,964.5 miles. Which is which very is, specific. Yeah, so that's the first year the Mustang came out. 1964 and a half was the model year. And uh, what was the other thing we noticed? It was 289 miles to empty. Yeah, that was the, the distance to empty was 289 miles, which is another Easter egg for our, our fans of the Mustang. The yeah. first generation Mustang uh, was offered with a 289 cubic, v, uh, cubic inches V8. Yes, and so that got us thinking. Well, specifically, got Sammy thinking uh, of what other Easter eggs might be hidden that aren't so obvious. And what was the one that you came up with that I think is in entirely possible? It's entirely possible. Well, it was weirded out because first of all, it's a digital dash, and they can. I mean, at least for the press photos, it should be fairly easy to doctor or to include certain information in there. Uh, and this showed that the car was in fourth gear and was doing five hundred. Uh, sorry, fifty-five uh, miles per hour um, at around. At, around 4,000, somewhere between four and 5,000 RPM, which I thought was a little weird. Um, those didn't add, I don't think that adds up very well, especially for a car that has 10 
uh, 10 speeds as an automatic. But, but it does add up to a potential horsepower increase is kind of so, where, where I think you were going with that. When I stopped staring at it very close, closely and kind of like backed up from the, from the screen, uh, the 4 and the 55 are just so um, prominent. And uh, I would suggest that the, I, would, I would make the speculation that that's going to be the new output of the V8. And that lines up perfectly with the V8 and the Camaro, you know, the Mustang's most uh, fearsome rival. Hated adversary. Yeah, I, I, you know what? I think you're right because, um, and I'm going to base this on something another, another automaker did a couple of years ago when the uh, Hellcat came out. They hadn't announced how much horsepower was going to be under the hood. And uh, they did release a bunch of press photos, and in the um, infotainment system, they had always they were always showing 70s on seven, the XM channel. And if you look, <laughs> if you look at how that's displayed, the logo for 70s on seven, it looks like 707, and it, no one picked up on it at all. And when the car came out, it had 707 horsepower, and everyone was like, "Oh, that's amazing!" And then a few people forensically, you know, be, became archaeologists, went back in time, took a look at the press release. And the press packs that we'd received and said, oh, you know, they kind of were hinting at it the entire time, but it was subtle enough that we didn't notice. But this time, I think Sammy has hit the nail on the head, and uh, you've heard it here first. <clears throat> All right, we'll see. But what happens if I'm 100% wrong? Do I have if to you, If you're 100% wrong, no one will remember. That's the beautiful <laughs> thing about the media. Uh, wonderful. <laughs> um, you know what, though? That digital dash is one of my favorite new additions to the Mustang. It's very Audi co uh, virtual cockpit, or Volkswagen virtual cockpit as well. Um, it looks sharp. It's, it has different uh, drive modes and uh, or like viewing modes uh, that we saw. There's a sport mode that brings the tack up um, in a really funky, curvy way. And there's a track mode that I saw that uh, is much more, this is weird, it reminds me of the track mode in the Chevrolet Corvette. So where the, the tack is massive is this giant line going um, horizontally across, across the display. Well, I mean, on a track, the tech is the only thing you care about, to be honest. And that and engine temperature and oil temperature. I mean, those are the three things. If you have a boosted car, you're probably looking at, at uh, boost and or, you know, um, mix uh, manifold temperatures, those kinds of things. But, um, you know, it's interesting, the other photo, that you sent me another photo from Ford that didn't make any mention of Easter eggs. And it had the same mileage in DTE, but it was missing the 455 because it was in a different uh, configuration. So right. I think I think the fact that Mike specifically mentioned it and posted that one image uh, is another kind of smoking gun for for this fan theory. I uh, also fan. I saw another I, I saw the track configuration on, and I've only seen it on one site. It's on Extreme Tech. Actually, my colleague at AutoGuide.com, his name is Stephen Elmer, pointed this out to me. Um, he showed me this, it's the track mode and it too had four, uh, gear, fourth gear and 55. It also had a lap timer, um, that specifically said that the current lap was point, um, 0 0.17 seconds faster than the last lap, which could be another, another Easter egg as to maybe how much faster it is, uh, maybe zero to 60. That's a good point. And you know, uh, Ford's getting us all to talk about these, these images, um, and they didn't bring the car to Detroit. Uh, it was the another semi. -con well, this is only controversial if you're a journalist because if you're, you know, a member of the public, this works in your favor. But um, the Mustang wasn't in Detroit uh, last week at the auto show during the media days, but it was there this week. Uh, where it was unveiled during the public days, which is when anyone can go and buy a ticket and visit the show, because that's what the show is for. It's not for journalists. I mean, it's a huge component of it is the media and the industry. But uh, ultimately, you want to get people's butts in seats and checking out cars they're going to buy. 
Um, so yeah, we haven't seen this car in the flesh yet, but maybe someone who's listening has because they're in the Detroit area and they checked out the show. Yeah, and they should fiddle with the digital dash and uh, and tell us what uh, what's going on in there. But um, let me just finish up uh, talking about this new Mustang, specifically about what's new about it, and then I would love to hear your takes, uh, your take on the V6 because that's another that's another thing that I want to talk about as well. So uh, automatic versions of the car will come with a 10-speed automatic, which is uh, co-developed with GM, which is kind of weird. Um, the car also comes with an active exhaust um, that will either make it louder or quieter. I'm not quite sure. Uh, or maybe both. Who knows? And uh, there's also going to be the option for MagnaRide, which is um, kind of adaptable suspension uh, setup that's very which, clever. Which we saw previously uh, only being available in the GT350. Yes. Uh, and what else is what else is uh, important to bring up? I well, think I mean, that, that 10 speed is kind of a big deal. Uh, it's the same transmission that they're using in the Raptor now as well. And I guess other flavors of the F-150 will eventually get it. Um, and uh, is that 10 speed available with the EcoBoost uh, four cylinder as well as the V8? I understand it to be. I'm not, I, I haven't heard anything else than that. Just the one automatic and one manual so far. Okay. Um, you know, that I'm going to have to pour one out on the ground for the V6 Mustang because it really got a, a bum deal over the last few years. Um, there was a time when Ford was all about trumpeting the V6 because it had, I can't remember exactly the horsepower. It's what, 305, something like that? Um, they were like, oh, we have a V6 now that produces as much horsepower as our previous generation V8 did. They gave it the performance pack. You could get uh, big brakes and the right suspension and locking diff and all sorts of fun stuff. So if you didn't want to spend money on the V8 or you were more gas conscious, uh, wanted to keep keep your fuel costs down, you could get the V6. And it was, it was decent to drive. It was a good engine um, all the way through the rev range. Uh, and then when the EcoBoost engine came out, I want to say last year, but maybe it was the year before for the Mustang, everything they just flipped the script uh all of a sudden the v6 was the the red-headed stepchild in the middle um they they took away the performance pack they took away anything that made it anything other than a rental car basically and gave that all to the ecoboost and personally i've never enjoyed driving an ecoboost mustang um i find sure there's lots of torque but if you ring that engine out there's no fun at the top end it's you you get into the torque very quickly and then it's gone and then you're just kind of revving the engine for no reason It's, it's not a sporty feel i guess is what i'm going for and it's strange because it's a two, it's the 2.3, right, Sammy? Uh, yeah. And I like that engine in other Fords. I perhaps because it's tuned differently or the transmissions are tuned differently. But uh, I, I had a convertible with which is the heaviest Mustang with mm-hmm. the EcoBoost, and it, it just wasn't fun and it didn't sound good. And I just wanted it to be the V6. Uh, and did you have the performance? So the biggest issue I have with the the V6 in this current generation Mustang is that they didn't give it with the performance package, and that kind of neutered it because I remember. I remember just like you driving the V6 in the last generation model with the performance package and loving it. Um, and now they they took that away. They said you have to get it with this turbocharged four cylinder engine, which a sounded terrible. I mean, like Sound absolutely not like terrible. A, not like a bad idea. That sounds like a bad idea. It actually just sounds really poor. Um, it sounds like a vacuum. Um, and what else could I could I say about this thing? Um, and just like just like you mentioned, it has great torque down low, but uh, it runs out of it runs out of juice way up there. And I didn't find it particularly um, fuel friendly. Maybe I was just uh, really enthusiastic when I was driving it, but uh, I didn't find that four cylinder particularly no, uh, fuel not, friendly. I mean, and in comparison, I found the V6 to be thoroughly enjoyable throughout the rev range. Just like you said, super smooth. Um, and I loved revving it out. I loved getting. All the way to the top end and and you know feeling really like i'm having a good time with that thing 
And that engine, um, was that engine available in the F-150 as well? It was a 3.7, right? Yes. Was it available in the F-150 or was the F-150 running that older 3.5? It was it was running that 3.5. Okay, because I noticed that that engine's gone from the F-150 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's strange because if you look across the across the aisle at uh, Chevrolet with the Camaro, mm-hmm. you can still get the V6. You can still get they have the Turbo 4 as well. Um, but and I've driven the uh, Chevrolet Performance makes a, a, a large number of uh, performance gear for all of the cars. So you can get, you know, suspension upgrades, various other upgrades, regardless of whether you have the, the base turbo or the, the top SS. Um, and then going even further, you can get a um, 1LE version of the V6 now. So you can get all of the suspension upgrades. It's basically an SS with a V6 engine. Uh, and that's it's just totally the opposite of what Ford's done with the Mustang. So I, I drove, I've driven all the iterations of the Camaro on a track, and I've driven them with and without the performance stuff. And the the Turbo Four is, is not fun to drive. Very much like the Mustang, it's a it's an okay motor that's best on the street where mm-hmm. you can dip into the torque at the low end and go from stoplight to stoplight, and and, and it feels fine. But, you know, you push it hard and you find yourself wanting the V6. And, and it's weird for the Camaro. The V6 is kind of the opposite. It's it's okay on the street, but on the track, you can really rev it up, get the power, because it's up high on that engine, and, and have fun with it. And and the Mustang is kind of, you know, now you either have the base four, basically, or the top top tier V8. There's, there's no, you know, just right setting, I guess. And and I'll I'll back up what you're saying. I, I've driven the V6 and the four-cylinder um, Camaro on the track. And I've driven uh, almost all of the Mustangs on the track as well. Um, but the four-cylinder, I didn't, I didn't find the four-cylinder terrible. Um, it was good. Definitely, it was definitely better on the street, and I quite enjoyed it on the street. I mean, it and, does the, it does the job, right? Yeah, and uh, and it felt more like a sort of an autocross, a very tight situation, short haul, short, quick bursts of speed thing. That's what the four-cylinder was really good at. And I didn't even find that enjoyable in the Mustang when it was the four-cylinder Mustang. So anyways, I think uh, I'm always trying to say that uh, I always have more fun in the Camaro. And I also think that the V6 is great in the Camaro. Um, and we were talking about the V8s in, the, in these two cars. And the Mustang needs to, to jump the power uh, up a little bit. And maybe 455 would do it. But um, you need to take a, everyone needs to take a look at this Mustang and see if they like the new look of it. Because uh, everyone's saying very different things. I don't mind the new look. But uh, it's not... I've never been a, a huge Mustang fan. No, and, you know, neither have I uh, in recent years. It's it's weird. I'm going to say something semi-controversial, but the Mustang has kind of become the Camry of performance cars for me in that it's a car that I will recommend other people buy, but I wouldn't want to own one myself. Um, dynamically, it just doesn't do it for me, although I recognize it's a pretty good performance bargain. That's for sure. Uh, it, it, again, like the Camry, the Camry is a great sedan, um, but it's not to my taste whatsoever. It's 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 more of an appliance, um, and I I wouldn't call the Mustang a performance appliance, but I do think that it's lost some of its character over the last two generations, and it's a really good car that I don't know just doesn't speak to me anymore. Although the GT350 and the Boss 302 mm-hmm. versions of those platforms were outstanding. Absolutely. There's no, there's no uh, denying the GT350 is a, it's a, it's a fantastic car. It feels like a different vehicle altogether. I mean, except for when you look inside and it just looks like a normal Mustang. <laughs> um, so let's see if we can. I mean, that'd be cr- pretty crazy if they can get some of the things that they learned from the from the GT350, including that uh, suspension, into the more pedestrian um, Mustangs. 
It's true, but I think the heart of the GT350 is really that different engine, and uh, that that really makes a lot of the character. All right, agreed. It it revs out really nicely, um, and that car's got a ton of grip, and that's not done with an engine. That's done with tires, I would I would I believe. Well, tires are definitely a big part of it, yeah. All right, let's switch gears and talk about another new coupe um, that everyone's talking about, and that's obviously the 4 Series, right? The BMW 4 Series, which got newer somehow? I don't know. Uh, actually, I don't want to talk about the 4 Series at all because I think they ruined it. Uh, instead, let's talk about um, a car quickest, that we mentioned last That's quick, the quickest segue in podcast history, I think. Let's talk about a car we mentioned last week, which uh, could be quicker than that segue. It would be the Dodge D- Demon? Hellcat Demon? What's it going to be called? I think it's just the SRT Demon, but I don't know. They might work Hellcat in there, too. Okay. We talked about this car last week. Uh, we said that it was weird that they're teasing a vehicle that um, did not debut at the Detroit Auto Show when they just when the show was just finished. And we're getting more teasers of it. What can we, what can we expect from this vehicle now, Ben? What do you know? Well, so there were some photos leaked of the car being... So there's a couple, couple things here. Um, someone on Instagram posted leaked photos of the car being under a car cover, but the front three-quarter uh, being displayed. Um, and what we saw is it's got 18-inch wheels, which is a big a step down from, I think it's 20s on the Hellcat, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 18-inch wheels are wrapped in really thick rubber. Like, we're talking great big sidewalls, um, and it almost looks like they're Neato uh, NT05s. Like a, or maybe an NT01, but I think it's more of a drag tire um, with that sidewall on it. And the front of the car has a hood scoop that's really different from what you'd find on a, any other Challenger. It's a big, wide scoop that goes back almost all the way to the uh, what looks like the windshield. Mm-hmm. And the front end is smoothed a little bit with a, a bit of flare for, uh, on the wheel wells, but it's just it's it's more aerodynamically clean than what we currently see on the Challenger. And and all of these things together are making me think this is a drag package car. That's quite an interesting um, piece of speculation you've got there. That's crazy. That Has has an automaker ever put out a street-ready, I mean, a drag-ready streetcar other than Mopar, I oh, guess? Oh, yeah. It used to be a really big thing back in the 60s. Ford did it with their Thunderbolts. Um, the uh, Copo stuff that GM used to do. Uh, and now, but was, now uh, Copo Camaros and and Cobra is that the other one, the Cobra Jet? Those are those are not street legal. No, those are very extreme vehicles. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right about that. Uh, you know, a, fr- a friend of mine, Bradley Iger, he uh, he sent me some more photos. He's also a journalist. He sent me some other photos of the car that showed the interior. Mm-hmm. And there's a uh, on the center console. There's a beside the launch button. Someone had zoomed in, and you can see it says Racing Fuel. Um, which is another kind of indicator that maybe we're looking at a drag car. And I would think that we might be looking at a supercharged drag car as well, using the same drivetrain, because it would make sense to run that type of fuel in a forced induction engine on the street. Because I don't think they're going to go big cubes. I mean, I don't think they can really go much bigger than they already are mm. and make any money. But it's 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 easy enough to you know up the boost on the supercharger. The, the interesting thing about this is, it's gonna have a warranty. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a bizarre idea. I can't get over the different concepts being brought to life with this car. If it if it makes more power than a if it's gonna be faster than a Hellcat, uh, and given to just regular people who just have enough money to do that, this is a crazy idea. This is it. I don't know if it's dangerous or irresponsible, but that's well, something. 
You know, something that they mentioned was, uh, as well, so they're doing this series of reveal videos, which we did, talked about last week, and there's a, a long number of them, because the car's coming out in New York, uh, mm -hmm. the auto show in New York, which is in a couple months. Which is almost um, in April, yeah. Yeah. So the interesting thing was um, they lopped 200 pounds from the car. How do you do that? Well, it's funny because I was talking again with Mr. Iger and he was saying he doesn't think that they're doing it using exotic materials like carbon fiber or anything like that. He thinks they might just be stripping it down um, and that would lead uh, into the drag car uh, hypothesis quite well if they were just removing features and luxuries and stuff and it was more of a basic car on the inside designed to go fast. The other thing is the, the Hellcat's a very heavy car to begin with and 200 pounds, I mean, usually 100 pounds is like you know, 0.1 seconds in the quarter mile, but, or, or maybe not 0 0.1, 0 0.01, but like, really, um, it's, it's not, you know, why do it to a car that heavy? That would be like taking the Escalade and saying, we took 200 pounds out of the Escalade. You're welcome. You know, it's like, it's, it, I don't know if that's really the focus you want to, you put, if it was 500 pounds, I'm listening, but 200 pounds, I don't know. I mean, I watched the video that, uh, that went along with that weight reduction, um, suggestion and uh or weight reduction announcement and uh i don't know i was i was trying to come to mind like the rear seats clearly seem to be in like they they like highlighted the rear seats in there like are they still in there i don't know and we've seen other automakers strip <laughs> out the rear seats when it comes to um trying to make their cars go faster and losing some weight that would probably be the easiest way for them for the camaro i mean sorry the challenger to lose some weight and maybe the entire front end is fiberglass too i mean we don't know it does look different enough that there could be it could be dramatically different from uh, what we expect from the Hellcat. And, the, and you know, you mentioned price um, and having this car being affordable for the masses. It might not be. It um, might not be actually. Not it might be. It. it might be much more expensive than the Hellcat because I doubt they'll sell many of them if it's a stripped down drag car because that's a very niche market. So they don't need to be cheap. They just need to appeal to the people who have that kind of money. Uh, they don't, they've already, all, I'm sure most of the parts come from the Hellcat development program. So they don't have to, they're not paying for development costs, really. It's more affordable than, than we'd probably uh, think it is. So I don't know. I mean, it, it's always fun when car companies do something different like this. I'm curious to see what it's going to be, but I'm thinking drag racing. Uh, do you think they could, uh, first of all, those tires are hilariously like tiny compared to what I'm used to on, on a, on a Hellcat. Well, we, we haven't seen the rear tires yet. That's true. Uh, do you think they can go all-wheel drive? What, what do you think they're targeting in terms of um, in terms of timing? In terms of well, I, I'm sure they could go all-wheel drive, uh, whether they will or not. I mean, it's a very non-traditional drag market to do that. So, are, are you going to go for the sheer numbers? Um, in which case, maybe all-wheel drive makes sense for acceleration and quarter mile and and you know trap speed. Are you going after the hardcore drag racing crowd, which is mostly in the muscle car segment? No one's really thinking anything other than rear-wheel drive. Um, you know, all-wheel drive has a great place in drag racing. I mean, DSMs rocked the world in the 90s with the Eclipses and the Talons, and uh, GTRs are kicking ass all over the place these days. Is it even a GTR series now? Mm. Um, but I don't know. I mean, who, who knows? Who knows? Well, I'll, uh, I'll finish this conversation or at least maybe I'll bring up uh, another topic. We've heard of something called the Trackhawk, which would be yes. a Hellcat-equipped uh, Grand Cherokee. Um, that that's got to have all-wheel drive, right? I oh, mean, it definitely has. It definitely has four-wheel drive of some kind. Yeah. I imagine if they're working on on equipping a, a Grand Cherokee with all-wheel drive, or at least figuring out how the powertrain 
you know how to how to put that supercharged engine into a into an all-wheel drive application they could probably figure it out with a with a challenger as well oh Although, yeah i don't i don't think it's an engineering problem i think it's a market problem well they're okay well that's interesting i'm sure they can they can probably net some pretty impressive numbers on a car that's a little bit smaller than a, than a grand cherokee that's that's how i'll describe the uh the Challenger. <laughs> but, you know, like uh, one big knock against it actually having all-wheel drive, if they've cut 200 pounds from it, I seriously doubt it has an all-wheel drive system. That's true. That's a great point. Because they would have had to, you know, then we're really looking at 400 pounds less than the existing Challenger because um, you have to take into account the extra weight of the uh, the drive system. Okay. Well, you know what? While we're on the topic of um, F- uh, FCA products or Mopar products, what are you driving um, this week? Is it uh, something related to this? It is. It's a it's a 2017 Jeep Grand Cherokee Trailhawk. Ooh. And uh, yeah, so that's a brand new model for this year. Um, it's uh, I like the Grand Cherokee. I I've liked it for quite a while. Uh, many different fun iterations of it. I find that when you order it in the extremely high end trims, the Overland and whatever comes above Overland and all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, it's really nice. Um, it, it challenges, I think, Mercedes-Benz and BMW in terms of uh, quality and interior and just overall performance. You get the diesel, you can get the SRT version. But the Trailhawk, as I understand it, it's put together to enhance the all-wheel drive, sorry, to enhance the off-road capability of the car. Uh, and uh, strangely enough, there doesn't really seem to be any extra off-road equipment over and above what you could already order with the Grand Cherokee. I mean, it looks kind of rugged. It has this this interesting um, black accent on the hood. It has these red toe hooks, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it looks like something that could go out in the trails and, and for one, conquer them and then yeah. help other people who had some difficulties with, with it in, on the trails. It definitely can. I mean, so regardless of whether you get the Trailhawk version of the Grand Cherokee or not, it's a serious off-road machine. I've done some pretty crazy driving in this vehicle, in, including <coughs> – excuse me – driving up a sheer cliff face pretty much and then driving down it the angle was such that i was hanging out of my seat and held in by the seat belts that's how steep it was and the car had no problem with it um and the trailhawk comes with all the you know it's got the the air suspension the quadrilift they call it it's got the top tier quadra drive two um four-wheel drive system which has low range and a limited limited yeah limited slip rear differential out back um you get skid plates and stuff and you get uh, – it's a little bit – the funny thing is, so you, there's multiple ride heights you can select inside the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like a low height for getting in and out. Then there's like uh, three driving heights. And the top height is 0.4 inches taller than the uh, regular version of the Grand Cherokee. Not because they really changed the suspension that much, but because it's riding on taller tires. It's got these knobby Goodyear Adventure all-terrain tires. Yeah. And yeah, so they give it a little bit of extra ride height. Those those Goodyears are not the usual tires on the on these cars. And yeah. I don't even know if they're found on the other Trailhawk models. I don't think they're on the I don't think they're on the Cherokee Trailhawk. I'm um, not sure, but probably not. That's really interesting. So it has the tires for going off road, I suppose. Yeah, and it's got a lot of a lot, lot of luxury gear inside too. Um, it's pretty much a full load of of stuff. So think of it like a luxurious off road rig, and uh, you kind of have the picture. But you know, like you said, you're not a fan of the styling. It's got a blacked out hood and the red accents and stuff. It has a little red Jeep on the rims too, which is kind of fun. <laughs> uh, climbing um, its way through life. I uh, I'm not a fan of the exterior only because I re- uh, like like what you said 
earlier. You said that the Grand Cherokee can really rival um, the offerings from Mercedes. I agree with you on that. But I don't think you can – I don't know if I want to see a car with these black accents and these red accents. And um, it just looks a little like um, – it looks like a modded toy. Uh, well, it's, it's, of, it's that's that's a great way to put it. It's definitely a different crowd for Jeep. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's definitely a different crowd from the other Grand Cherokees. But like I was I was telling you earlier today, uh, I was at a light and there was a lady beside me in a Wrangler and she was giving my truck the eye. She definitely liked the look of the vehicle. Was definitely curious about it. So there's people in the Jeep community. They know what it is. They're into it. And that might be what Jeep's doing. They're like, you know what? If you've outgrown your Wrangler and you're looking for something a little more comfortable but not really sacrificing um, the capabilities that your Wrangler has, then consider this Trailhawk. And it's another way, you know, FCA is very good at this, taking an existing platform, giving it a little bit of a spin, and then marketing it. And we've seen that we've seen that with the Challenger. We just finished talking about that with the Challenger, mm-hmm. and now we're talking about it with the uh, the Grand Cherokee. But I mean, if you took the the other way around, you take a car that you that you think is known for being luxurious and pretty and and you know appealing to that crowd, and then tweaked it out to look like like a tuner car, it won't. It, it's just so weird to see that. It's like when you see those. Um, not Brabus. Who's uh, who's more excessive than than Brabus? Like Mansory, uh, <laughs> those really crazy Mercedes um, made by Mansory, which are these awkward colors, and they're just they're just trying to appeal to this whole other crowd. But you know what? Well, you're right. They make them for a reason. People buy them. Um, and 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 not every Grand Cherokee is luxurious. You can get a base Grand Cherokee. They're out there and they're affordable. Um, so it, it it's interesting. The Cher- the Grand Cherokee lineup is vast. I mean. It touches on a lot of things. It's one of the. It's the only North American SUV uh, in its class with a diesel engine. Although we don't know for how much longer. And um, it's the only one you can get with a crazy ass V8 that you can take onto the track from a North American manufacturer. So it's there's a lot of variety in there, and I think this is just one more branch on the variety tree for them. Can we talk a little bit about how much um, I really like, though, the Grand Cherokee and actually the, most of the Jeep lineup? I'm looking forward to driving the Compass um, because it looks great. Um, it looks like a tiny a tiny Grand Cherokee. It does. I'm, I'm driving that in uh, three weeks, I think. And I really like the Grand Cherokee. It is probably one of my most recommended um, vehicle from not just Jeep, but probably the whole FCA lineup. Um, I don't think the the regular Cherokee is that bad. Um, I think sometimes it could be a little, it, it can, it can, there's some weird powertrain issues, uh, especially with the nine yeah. speed. And I think the yeah, same thing can be said the, about the, about the Renegade. I think you definitely need to get the V6 and the uh, smaller Cherokee to avoid those issues. Okay. So, I, I mean, I absolutely love this, this lineup and I, you know what, I'm bringing this up because, and I, I hope you don't mind me doing this. Uh, I'd love to, I'd love to tap your brain because a friend of mine is looking into buying a Durango, a 2015 model uh, Durango uh, RT. Uh, he's taking a look at both a V6 and a V8 model. And um, I don't know. I'm really I'm really hesitant on recommending this vehicle. If he likes the styling of this car, it's hard to it's hard to recommend anything else. That's my that's my biggest problem with it, right? <laughs> well, you know, people they can ask all the questions they want, but ultimately they buy the car that they like the most, right? And that's, yeah. that's one of the things in this job that you and I have that we have to accept. Right. And uh, if you like, because almost nothing else in this in, in in its class looks quite like a Durango, you'd have to go into a whole different almost class of vehicle, like the really full-size um, SUV, the things like the Tahos and the Yukons, to really get that look, that design. And I think those are more expensive vehicles as well. Well, I think that, you know, 
I'm not uh, the the Durango is it looks good driving wise. It's based on the same platform as the uh, Grand Cherokee, mm-hmm. and I think that it's not nearly as uh, not nearly as comfortable or as nimble. Um, they extended it a little bit, and I don't know. It just it lost something in translation. It's I I haven't driven one in two years, and I, I'm driving one actually very soon. So maybe I'll change my tune. But um, I think that the GC is just a better buy overall. Uh, the third row in the Durango, again, yeah. most people do not need a third row. And it's something they're going to use two or three times a year. And, you know, if you absolutely need it those two, three times a year, then fine. Uh, there's no real argument against that. But uh, I would definitely lean towards the Jeep. I agree with you on that, except for uh, my friend has a massive bear-like husky uh that just needs to live in that back seat space um where you would fold down the rear seats and just let let this dog just take up the whole area uh and i don't know if the grand cherokee can can offer that much space when when you open up the trunk well i don't i don't know either not having seen the husky i mean i don't feel qualified to to comment on <laughs> right. its girth that's true but i believe with, i i totally agree with you the durango does not feel as agile or as spawn um it uh, it is still available with that nice v8 though which sounds pretty good um i don't think it's the most powerful um v8 in fact i'm not a big fan of the 5.7 but i like it i love the 5.7 I, I know you do so could you tell me a little bit more about why you like it i think it has in, in the grand cherokee or in the uh, durango in either of them well i mean 360 horsepower is something to sneeze at it's like what just under 400 pound feet of torque i mean if this was 10 years ago we'd be absolutely salivating at numbers like that i mean that's that's just a family hauler, dude. Okay. And it's got like ridiculous. It's got like the same torque that my LS6 does in my Cadillac, like which <laughs> is now what 13 years old. I mean, how far have we come in that short period of time? Oh. I, I think it's. Uh, I've always found it to be uh, in the Ram pickups too. It's it's a great motor. It's it's really you know it's it was a step up above the 5.3 that Chevy was running at the time, and the 4.6 from Ford was just it was just garbage in the pickups. Um, they did, a, and the, so was the 5.4. They did a much better job with the five liter that you can get now. It's a, it's a much better engine on on par with the uh, the Ram. Um, but yeah, that's okay. that's that's my take on it. And uh, you know what? I actually I'm kind of agreeing with you right now. This is an engine that's found in a pickup truck, and you're going to offer it in a family vehicle like the uh, like the Durango or the Grand Cherokee. That's kind of cool. Or the Dodge Charger or the 300C. Mm-hmm. You know, like. It's uh, it's out there and it's uh, being leveraged across the lineup and it's got cylinder deactivation too. So, uh, do you mind me asking if your Grand Cherokee you have has the rotary selector gear, uh, dial gear, or it, the weird? It does not. It doesn't. It does not. Nope. What does it, it have? Has the, it has a console shifter, a mechanical console shifter, or something that mimics a mechanical console shifter. Is this the one that we were complaining about uh, a few podcasts ago? No, it's a it's a totally normal shifter in every way. Yeah, okay. it is interesting. Yeah. So that that's the recalled shifter, I suppose. I guess I guess this is their solution. All right. Um, the only thing I don't like about the drivetrain in the GCM driving is it has so it has an eco mode that's on by default. You have a button on the dash you can push mm-hmm. to turn eco mode off, and if you just drive normally in normal eco mode, it always ha- looks for the tallest gear and keeps you there. Mm-hmm. So if you're like cruising at say uh, 45 miles an hour and you kind of just want to accelerate a little bit and not a lot, not enough to initiate a kickdown. It goes and it, and it sounds a little bad and it feels a little weird through the pedal. So if you turn off eco mode, you don't have that. Um, the other thing that's interesting is it has automatic parking, and uh, it's worked really well um, for parallel parking. I've used it a couple times this week, which I don't normally do because I don't trust it. 
Um, I've had some bad experiences. I, the Volvo uh, XC90 I had with a similar feature, it, it parked itself on the sidewalk and then triumphantly declared parking completed <laughs> on, the, uh, <laughs> on the screen. I was like, no, nah, not quite. <laughs> but uh, in the Jeep, it works well. Um, the only feature about the Jeep that's related to the automatic parking that doesn't work well is it has a, uh, a system that detects if something's behind you when you're reversing. Mm-hmm. And it's really good at ghosting. Oh like my it picks god! Up, oh, it's stuff that's not there. I, I had hate this it so much. I had this in the in the Cherokee, in the Cherokee yes. Trailhawk I had, and it hits the brakes. It has an it automatic slams braking. the brakes on. And it, it feels like you hit something. And exactly. The the worst sensation is because you automatically think it saw something that you didn't. That's like the first thing I think when that happens, and I'm like, oh damn it, did I almost hit somebody? No. And then I had you know the Cherokee <laughs> that I had did it three times in a row in an empty parking lot. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I don't know if it's a winter thing because it was winter when I was driving the Cherokee as well, so maybe the sensor is covered. But it's happened to me a bunch of times in the in the Grand Cherokee, and I don't like it. Um, I wish it didn't happen. I, I have the exact same feeling as you. I, although I did also drive the Cherokee that had this feature in the winter. Um, but even when it was parking next to pillars in a parking lot, um, it it thought it was way too close. It wasn't. I can see it in my mirror. I can see it. And every time I started backing up, it would just slam the brakes, and it slams it violently with the with the most piercing scream ever. And I'm just I I had to turn it off after after like halfway through my week of my test, and that made the experience much better. <laughs> yeah, it's uh you know technology is not quite there yet, which is you know feeds into our whole continual screed <laughs> on the topic of self-driving cars. But you know it's interesting because General Motors has a similar system, a similar backup assistance system. I don't know on which models exactly I've experienced it on the on some Cadillacs and I never got false positives from that. It, and and it activates uh, when you're much closer to the obstacle. So you have more of a leeway, I guess, cuz I mean I'm I live in a crowded city. I'm going to be parking um, all the time with someone on my rear bumper. I'm always going to be parallel parking. And it can be difficult at times to do that with this kind of system. But uh, I had a uh, – the week before when I came back from Detroit on my 12-hour slog, um, I uh, was in a, chair, uh, a Yukon Denali. Uh, did we talk about that last week? I don't remember. Uh, a little bit. You were mentioning how the snow would cover up the sensors and you'd, you'd lose uh, like adaptive cruise control. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we did. I mentioned that. But I, I, I do want to say that I think the Yukon Denali is the best um, SUV that GM makes just in terms of overall uh, packaging, the, the styling, the fit and finish, the features you can get, the practicality, the power has this 6.2 liter V8 with uh, 420 horsepower mm-hmm. and 460 pound-feet of torque. It's got magnetic ride suspension. Hold um, up, can we just stop? Can we pa- can I pause you for a second? That 6.2 liter V8 is my is like my favorite. I love it. It's it's a great engine. It's, it's very so good. versatile. <laughs> and, and you know, it's it's a, it's not that in Canada, it's not that much cheaper than the Escalade. It's like five grand cheaper. In the U.S., the gap is bigger. Nice. Um, and I think it's a much better deal than the Escalade mm-hmm. because it's essentially exactly the same vehicle without Q. So if you hate Q, the uh, Cadillac which, user experience, I believe it's called, which isn't easy get, to do, which is no, easy it, to do actually. To yeah. Hate, so to you, hate you, Q. You, you get GMC IntelliLink, which works really well. Fantastic. Um, you get styling that's not as over the top as the Cadillac. Uh, it's a very specific buyer who likes the Escalade, and it's brash, and it's bold, and maybe you don't want that. Um, so you can get all of those Escalade features without the Escalade image in the Yukon Denali, and I highly recommend And the Escalade price, yeah. 
Yeah. Cool. Yeah. The only thing, you know, it's it's like the weird thing when they redesigned. So it's a, it's been two years, three years. I don't remember how long since they redesigned the uh, full size SUVs at GM, the Tahoe, the mm-hmm. Escalade, and the the Yukon. But uh, they lost some interior space when they did it because they added a power folding third row yeah. that folds flat before you had to take the seats out physically out I... and store them somewhere, which is a hassle and a half. And now it doesn't do that, but you have less room inside. And uh, for some people, that's going to be a problem. I actually, I really like those. I love all power folding uh, rear seats. I think they're such a great idea. They do sometimes. They take a long time to to operate, which is really funny to watch. You're just well, standing quickly, there, like. How quickly do you need to be in that car? Uh, I mean, not be in the car. It's more like loading it up, right? Like maybe you're going grocery shopping, or uh, or you're getting some stuff from the hardware store. So here's a scenario. Here, hit me. You're at the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Are you with me? Are you visualizing this? Yeah. Are you? I got it. All right. I, I, I need so. you to be there with me. I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Okay. All right. So we are at the grocery store and I'm inside the car because we had a fight and you're loading up the groceries in a, in a bit of a, t- a huff. Yeah. And you notice a zombie yeah. shuffling towards you from across the parking lot and you're pushing that button, that seat fold button, and you're waiting and you're waiting and the zombie's getting closer and closer ben, and closer. Fire up the car. Fire up the well, car, what, man. I, oh, it's already running. Oh, right. It's already – but here's Why the thing. Why are you idling so much of this? What engine do we have? We're destroying it's the – It's No wonder Don't the, worry. The, when the zombie's coming over here. No, but it's the zombie <laughs> fighting engine. So anyway, okay. do you just throw the groceries in and not care about the seat folding or do you just you know patiently wait for it to happen? That's a tough question. That's really it's a tough question. That's really important. Well, I mean, if I don't have, I guess I would just carry all my. Gro- if it was emergency, I just carry all my groceries into the front seat with me. Well, you realize there's also the option to just drop the groceries and book out of there. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, are these life? Uh, this might be a pop- apocalyptic. Our apocalyptic run. Okay, I'm going to spoiler alert this scenario for you. I'm not waiting for that seat to fold before I get out of there. I'm going to hit the gas and we're gone. So really it's up to you whether you want to be on board the Yukon train <laughs> when that happens or whether you want to go mano y mano against this undead creature. Well, what happens if there are zombies in the front of the car uh, trying does, to get in, trying to get into your door and you've locked it and the only thing that's open is this is this – this rear this rear door and i'm well, gonna have I to think... jump in there but all my groceries are in the way i've got to hit the button that folds that rear that last row over so that i can roll in there and close the door i think that's i have to wait for this thing to, to work no i think you could fit in the little gap between the third row and the uh the tailgate if a zombie invasion was oh the man it's auto show season i've been eating a lot it's... <laughs> <laughs> well the zombies haven't been eating and they're hungry so I know, you're right it's either me or them that's a great point. Prob- I can't wait for it, this to happen. It probably wasn't a use case when they designed it. I, I think it was. Oh, only Hyundai designs for the zombie apocalypse, as we've discovered. Not lately, which is kind of bugging me. They used to do these Walking Dead-themed uh, cars, and now all they do is talk about the Super Bowl. Well, maybe it's because Walking Dead is so horrifically violent they didn't want to associate their brand with it anymore. You know, they're not necessarily a <laughs> Nissan Death Trooper type of company. <laughs> nice. Uh, speaking of which, we uh, we had one of those in the office today, and we were surprised to see that it is only that the Rogue One edition Star Wars. Sorry, the Rogue Star Wars edition. I don't even know what it's fully called. Nissan Ro- Nissan Rogue Rogue One Star Wars edition. I think is not even the highest trim Rogue that you can get. No, of course not. So that kind of sucks. You have to get the Rogue Rogue One Platinum Rogue <laughs> edition. I don't even know if that's offered, if that's available. 
Well, I mean, it should be. It should. I can configure it online. Oh, excellent. Then maybe it is. We just didn't get it. Um, and then one of my colleagues has a really interesting car, the Path, sorry, not the Pathfinder, the Nissan Armada. What makes it interesting? Because it's essentially a 2010 patrol, Nissan patrol from another market. And uh, do you feel that the, after having, you know, we just talked about the Yukon, do you feel that the Pathfinder is in any way um, competitive with it? You mean the Armada? Sorry, yeah, the Armada. No, no, the Yukon's so good. It's, I'm telling you, that 6.2 liter engine, if that's everything, that's everything to me. I love it. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, it's funny. I took a look at sales of uh, full-size SUVs, like true SUVs, or uh, true SUVs, truck-based SUVs. Um, and they've just fallen off a cliff. I mean, no one buys Suburbans, um, Yukons, Tahoes anymore. I mean, unless you're a government contractor, I guess. Uh, if you look at the ratio between Canada and the U.S., it's like 4% of the U.S. sales in Canada. I think they sold 1,700 Tahoes in Canada last year versus like 46,000 in the States. And if you look at 46,000, I mean, how many F-150s were sold? 750,000? Mm -hmm. So no one's buying these. And it always surprises me when a company like Nissan re-ups and is like, yeah, you know what, we'll, 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 stay, in, in, we'll stay on board. We'll, we'll keep building them. I mean, there's, there's, there's what? There's... The GM Twins, mm -hmm. there's the Expedition, mm -hmm. there's the Navigator, there's the QX80, which is a fine vehicle. Um, there's kind the Escalade. Ugly, but okay. Well, I, uh, you know what? You know what? I'm going to let that slide. And the, other than that, there's the Armada. Nope, is there anyone nope. else? Oh, wait. There's the Sequoia, and which hasn't changed in a decade. The Land Cruiser. Uh, the Land Cruiser is something else. I don't, I don't include it. Um, and the Lexus versions of those two cars. Yeah, I think that those... I don't know, because if you open it up like that, then you have to start. I mean, do you include the Range Rover? Yeah, the Range Rover. Okay, yeah, I'll do that. Really? What about the Range Rover Sport, which is the only one with three rows? Nope. Uh huh. Uh, well, I, well I mean, then. I'm seeing, I'm well seeing then. cars that are also like uh, Grinch, like sorry, Escalade competitors. Well, I mean, if it doesn't have three rows, is it really an Escalade competitor? Hmm. Dun, dun. I'll, have to, I'll have to sleep over this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe it is. <laughs> okay, but, fine. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, if, we, if we're including Land Rover, I mean, they sell a very small number of vehicles too. Yeah. So it, it's 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 a shrinking segment. Uh, it's like it's like full size sedans. It's uh people are are buying more reasonably sized non truck based crossovers and SUVs. It seems like these guys are kind of getting left uh, by the wayside. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm looking forward. I'm, I mean, that's fine with me. These things are huge. Let's be honest with you. Uh, I mean, they're, they're very, they're great they're for expensive too. Very expensive, great for towing. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, it's it's not like back in the day when it seemed like every family had a suburban. That's really the only reason you would get one is that towing rating, that tow rating, right? Well, I mean, you know, I think uh, in the '90s when it was harder to find a minivan with all-wheel drive, um, people were probably buying them for that reason too. It's still kind of hard to find a minivan with all-wheel drive. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. It, there's but only one, not, really. But it's not, you know, if you were, if it was like 1999, you couldn't go and buy a Chevy Traverse that had more cargo space than a Suburban. That's true. You know, and nowadays they have the same cargo space. The new generation actually shrunk a little bit, but it's out there. You can get it with all-wheel drive and it's not as, it's not quite as big and you still have three rows and stuff. But there was, there was a time when that wasn't around. It just didn't happen. Interesting. Well, that's an interesting history lesson you've given me, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm full of fascinating history lessons <laughs> that everyone wants to. Full-size SUV. <laughs> 
Everyone wants to hear about it. Everyone's so excited about Benjamin's history lessons. They're lining up. Um, so while you're talking to me about these great full-size SUVs that you're driving, um, what else are you doing? What's, what's, up, what's coming up for you? What can I look forward to hearing from you next week? Well, next week, I'm going to be driving a Volvo V60 Polestar to Portland, Maine, um, where I will be parking it and then driving the Challenger GT, which is the all-wheel drive version of the Challenger. It's uh, they're, they're calling it a winter driving experience, and part of it is at a motorsports facility, so I assume we're going to do some drifting stuff. That's fantastic. And both the, Pol- the uh, my experience with the Polestar V60 is so positive, um, and I can't wait to hear what you say about it. And I, I believe you're going a little farther afield than, than I am next week. I'll be going to the UK to drive the biggest Mini ever. It's the Mini Countryman, and uh, I'm looking forward to doing that as well. And what are you looking forward to specifically about that? Driving on the other side of the road, mostly. And Don't, uh, don't, mess, don't mess it up, man. <laughs> don't mess it up, yes. And being it, proud to say I didn't mess it up. It's easy to do. Really? Oh, no. For me, uh, for for driving on the wrong side of the road, for me, the scariest things are right-hand turns, mm-hmm. which just feel totally wrong, no matter which seat you're sitting in. And uh, coming out of roundabouts uh, and making sure you're in the right lane when you do that. Right. I think that's going to be my uh, my concern as well. I'll let you know. How, I'll faith. let you know and all the listeners how it goes next week. Or... I have faith in you. <laughs> me too. So uh, until next week, um, you can. Catch us on Twitter and ask us questions. Uh, Sammy's Twitter handle is at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Mm-hmm. And mine is at Hunting Benjamin. Um, but you can also reach me at email, via email, sorry, at Benjamin, at BenjaminHunting.com. Fantastic. And you can subscribe. If you haven't subscribed to us, subscribe. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes and on Google Play Music. And if you're a SoundCloud user, you can find us on SoundCloud as well. And if you don't yeah, know where to find us on SoundCloud, you just type, go to your, your internet browser and you type unnamedautomotivepodcast.com and you'll find it right there. So until next week, thank you for listening and have yourselves a great week. Take care.